Oh, hello, and welcome from El Dente Rigamortis. I'm Review Cultist. And I'm Dr. Leviathan. And we're here to ask you to listen to our podcast. If you like those internet stories, most creepy and most pasta. Or just want to listen to two friends put their gray matter through the meat grinder. Come check us out at El Dente Rigamortis. We're on Kiwi 6, iTunes, YouTube, and Tumblr. New posts every Thursday. See you there, and until then, sleep well. This is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Public Radio. This is RPBR episode 112, Campaigns I Shan't Be Running. And with me, not as always, is Mr. Is Caleb uh, here. Hello. Yes, uh, Tom is uh, unavailable tonight, but we need to get an episode out, you know, because of my very strict and, uh, you know, scheduling thing. It's like a factory here. <laughs> yeah, like clockwork. Yeah. If the clocks... We're terrible uh, at keeping time. Victorian child slaves shoveling (laughs) coal into a massive boiler to power the microphones. (laughs) Uh, So in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, campaigns that we would like to run or thought about running, but will almost certainly not be running uh, for various (laughs) reasons. And what we've learned. And what we've learned. And why we've avoided those campaigns. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mistakes we've yet to make. Mistakes we... We we see that pothole and we're trying to veer (laughs) around. around it uh to so we can get into that cliff um (laughs) so uh and the metaphor kind of loses meaning after that so uh (laughs) anyway in uh news uh, we do have some news uh raillery is back up uh and running uh thanks to aaron uh he is posting a lot of videos to our youtube channel uh to uh go through darkest dungeon a game i've talked about er earlier in the podcast and uh, Darkest Dungeon is a Lovecraftian uh, dungeon crawling game and where you control a roster of adventurers and when they die, they die for good. It's kind of like watching a puppy try and read Nietzsche. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not the game you would picture Aaron doing an actual play for. But so he, I think that's, that's its charm. He names the characters after us and <laughs> our characters in games and... <laughs> We we haven't done that well. I'm a leper. <laughs> You're a leper. I was an occultist <laughs> once. Uh, so uh, there's already six episodes as of this recording. Uh, so there's it's over an hour of you know uh, goodness. So if you like video games and Aaron uh, watching his hapless adventures die horrible deaths. Uh, if I, this is successful, we still have it spoiled. Spec Ops the line for him. Yes. So. We will film his face if he does that. Uh, yeah. Listen and comment, and he will be despairing for all of your enjoyment. Uh, and finally, uh, we have a new contest for all of you out there, uh, a fan creation contest. This is going to be done with the help of Arc Dream, who uh, they've donated some books for us. So there'll be prizes, actual uh, Arc Dream uh, role-playing games, and of course, some copies of Base Raiders, Zombies of the World, and uh, other uh, little gift ideas uh, or you know rewards. Um, so the 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 details of the contest will be uh, on the RPPR forums. I'll have a link in the show notes. But to go over it briefly, this will be uh, a fan creation contest. So something about some sort of uh, about our actual play episode. So create uh, something to commemorate one of our memorable incidents in an art dream game. Uh, these can be uh, there will the categories will be in art. Like draw, you know, two D art, uh, video, audio, uh, written, and other. And there will also be categories for every uh, game itself. So Wild Talents, Cthulhu, because Unspeakable Oath, you know, that counts. Yeah. Uh, monsters and other childish things. Uh, better Angels in a Dirty World. Uh, so 
we uh, there's plenty of uh, rewards. There's plenty of uh, awards, I guess. Um, uh, so yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so you could also do multimedia projects, oh, such yeah. as the montage of Aaron character deaths set to <laughs> Oh What You Say that needs to be done. Yeah, this is true. We need that work. Uh, that I, there will us. be, uh, yeah, let's add uh, death montage uh, <laughs> as a new category. <laughs> All right, uh, yes. It, it can, because it, it's not just Aaron. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had many, many memorable player deaths. <laughs> we have. Uh, so we could have something in the final revelation or <laughs> in, in uh, Revelation Spring. So uh, lots, of, lots of good stuff there. So uh, there will be, I'll, I'll give it a pretty lengthy thing. So you, you'll have time to make it uh, for the deadline. I, I would say. Uh, make it May 15th. That'll give people quite a bit of time to make something really special. So um, uh, we look forward to your creations. So anyways, uh, anyway, so this episode, we're talking about campaigns you will never run uh, or I won't be running or Caleb won't be running uh, because there, a lot of times we get ideas for campaigns and then we realize uh, much to our chagrin that, that, that it's just not going to happen. That would be a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> This comes from a series of uh, blog posts on Charles Strauss's blog, uh, Books I Will Not Write, yeah. in which he details the plots and what he's doing and what he did to plan for a book he did not write, uh, and then explains why that is not the book he wrote. Like, it either morphed into a different book, or it didn't make sense in publishing, or anything like that. So, uh, he always comes up with some sort of, because he's Charles Strauss, he always comes up with some sort of illustrative uh, and very insightful takeaway from describing this book that does not exist. So uh, I thought maybe in describing campaigns we shan't be running, uh, we could come up with some useful tenets for running games <laughs> for your own group. Yeah, uh, because this is, I think this happens to a lot of gaming groups sooner or later, is that yeah someone tries to run a game that they shouldn't be running for that particular group. Uh, and, and that's to preface there, you know... Every group has its own preferences. This is not to say the campaigns we're going to be talking about are bad inherently. They're just not going to fit our particular, you know, uh, people and time and other. Uh, I mean, some of the ideas are bad yeah. inherently, <laughs> uh, and that is a possibility. I probably have a few I'll mention, but oh. others are just like, yeah, it's not the time nor the place. Yeah, uh, I know. For example, I'll just go first and mention the first campaign. Well, it, it's not even a, a specific campaign, but I know the type of campaign I will never run for this group. Uh, I shan't be running a dungeon crawling campaign. Uh, and I, it doesn't even matter what system I'd be running it in, whether it's 5e D&D or 4e or Hackmaster or whatever. It's just uh, this group, does, the RPPR group is not a big fan of mapping out dungeons, checking for traps and killing rooms filled with orcs. Uh, even if there's really good reasons to kill them, you know. Can we crawl through those dungeons and then negotiate treaties with its inhabitants? <laughs> well, some of them, yes, but sooner or later you're going to have to get your hands... Can we it. engineer a proxy bush war between them <laughs> and take over the spoils? Yeah, dungeon colonialism, <laughs> is that what you're going for? I'm always playing blank <laughs> colonialism, Ross. <laughs> Alright, fair enough. <laughs> but you see, this is why, like, uh, uh, a lot of our players uh, don't care for like tactical combat they don't like the uh 
the XCOM-esque sort of version of role-playing We're like the CIA of role-playing groups. Yeah. Uh, Not fight fair. (laughs) Let's just lie and cheat and steal. Yes. Not not with the kill. Well, killing, but not if they shoot back, you know. Uh, So that's my... We'll sell drugs to our own people to fund these guns to shoot these bad guys. (laughs) Aaron Morals. You know, (laughs) we... If there's a sympathetic robot? (laughs) Yes, yes. We will kill any amount of children to save the sympathetic robot. Uh, or Warforged. I'm sorry. This is a fantasy. Yes, thing, so. you're right. Um, so what was the... Uh, you had a campaign idea that you know that uh, you wanted to run, but you, you, you shan't be running this. I shan't be running it. Yeah. Um, so I uh, loved Knights Black Agents, uh, and I think David enjoyed Knights Black Agents quite a bit. Uh, I think other players did not care for it as much as David and I liked it. Uh, I liked it. Yeah, you. Yeah, it was well, a good was campaign. Running, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. You were running it. Yeah. Uh, but Jason was <laughs> like a teenage girl who just had her phone confiscated for every game, <laughs> uh, just <laughs> glowering at us and refusing to pronounce Japanese names, <laughs> as if that was like a rebuke. <laughs> like, no, I won't say it. His name's Scott now. <laughs> uh, and Tom was a. Six-point investigative forger sniper <laughs> and a 19-year-old Japanese boy. Uh, who got his skills from playing Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so uh, while I love that campaign, it was somewhat laborious <laughs> on my part as a player to be like, no, your character needs to do this. Yeah, <laughs> No, they're vampires. This is a game about vampires. All right, go to sleep. <laughs> we'll tell you when it's over. Uh, and... I if, but if the game is great, it's totally up my alley, and I actually uh, based a whole campaign off of uh, a book that Charles Strauss wouldn't write. So it was the Last Laundry Files novel with the vampires. Yeah, his original pitch for that wasn't as a Laundry not Files novel; it was as vampires in the world of high finance. So it's about like micro trading. And being a vamp- and being a vampire in, in a world where you can make insane amounts of finance and live off your interest. So are these these super elite uh like deathless immortals that run these gigantic financial institutions. And basically what they do, uh to ensure their own survival more than to even gain their portfolios, is they hunt down other immortals that haven't got with the times and just try and steal their loot. Like they try and destroy them and collect their, you know, priceless rooms full of paintings or boxes of gold doubloons <laughs> and all this stuff they did from old economies because they've learned to adapt. Um, and so I read that and I also read a uh, comic by Jonathan Hickman, a short forerun comic uh, about a shadow economy where yeah. these. Uh, KGB and CIA special agents start embezzling from the black budgets of their respective organizations, which is pretty easy to do when you don't list anything about the budget. But the thing is, you still have to find a way to quantify your expenses. So what they would do is just have their buddy across the way report enemy action that would be roughly equivalent to the money they stole. (laughs) So they're basically validating each other's lies and fleecing the government for like private islands. And so my idea was that this is going on and the intermediary between these two, you know, red state, blue state, uh, civil services and espionage who don't want to die. They want to get rich. Uh, 
the intermediary is this uh, 14th century Venetian vampire who is like the proto financier, uh, and it's called the Golgotha account. So it's just a uh, because basically the two criminals on each side of Jesus get off for free <laughs> just by merit of where they got crucified. So uh, they they you uh, get salvation and you get salvation. Yeah, because yeah, all those other guys in the field of hanging dead <laughs> straight to hell, but those two skirted right in right on the forgiveness line. So uh, so that was the idea. It'd be world hopping. All over the place, PMCs, it would take into account all sorts of, like, modern world events. Like, I had a whole Syria adventure planned out that I completely redid, and it's still going on in the Syria Civil War, but it's all different now, and I was going to do it. And I wrote a ton of it, and I pitched it to uh, Pelgrain, and they're like, you've never given us anything before. This would be 200 pages. I'm like, I know, so you're going to hire me, right? <laughs> uh, and Kenneth Hyde just shook his head and... Got another drink at the bar. Uh, and so I'm like, well, I'll run it for the guys. And then I realized, no, I will not be running it for the guys for any number of reasons. So what are some of those reasons you think, Ross? Like, I, I know what they are, but what would you guess some of those reasons? It would be a terrible idea. Because I would be playing you, essentially, in that I would have to plan every goddamn thing. I would be playing the entire team. <laughs> And so they would be there to quip and enroll during combat, and that would be pretty much it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I have a tendency to go off the handle a little more in terms of uh, go go a little more looser with the rules sometimes. <laughs> uh, you want to go rogue like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one wants to play the straight man in RPPR. Yeah. <laughs> I can. I just. You will if you have to. I will. But if you I don't have, want. To. I don't want to. <laughs> I just. I'm always at the GM chair, and it's. Yeah. It's so much more fun. But yeah, that, there's that. So. Uh, uh, I also realized that in keeping up with world events, and like researching the uh, dual citizenship required of Nicosia, yeah. uh, residents of you know, Cy- Cyprus are the Turkish <laughs> Republic of Cyprus that Ross might care and do some yeah. homework and no one else would have any idea <laughs> yeah ross uh would like try something to learn about the culture yeah. read a skim a wikipedia page and tom would roll in with a cowboy hat covered in guns <laughs> to every nation he, yeah. he went to uh and it would again just be me playing a game with ross by ourselves <laughs> <laughs> while three other people sat and agonized through it. Uh, so if you would like to read the the sadly abandoned Prezi for the Gogotha account, uh, it, it is on my Prezi page. Just alo- okay. yeah, well, alone, dejected, and unfinished. Well, but, I'll put a, a link to it. Uh, but so. y- the thing you should learn is you should definitely read the interest of your group. Yeah. Uh, and they don't, they don't like, like to crawl. read. Well, they, they like don't, to read. They, well, they don't like to read like current events. They don't yeah. like to do homework for games. For certain games. Like, yeah. I mean, if there was a Dresden Files game, I think that would be a different story because. <laughs> yeah. But that's another campaign that neither of us shan't be running, and neither yeah. will Dan because Dan is. Yeah. Dan and, has talked about this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And also, Dan and I have played it. Yeah. And read it, and that's pretty much it. And David's catching up. David's catching I would uh, start reading if Dan started actually running it. Yeah. But, like, that's the thing. You know, it, it's not going to happen, so... Yeah, you gotta... So, read the audience is a yeah. good... Uh, is a good takeaway from that game I shan't be running. Yeah. Uh, and... And in term, and while I have ideas for campaigns, I don't have any that are specifically that detailed, uh, 
because there are some campaigns I won't run, be running simply because I there's no point in doing any research because they're in systems I, I know we're not going to do. So that's another thing is the system issue. And so, for example, Shadowrun. Uh, which I love as a setting because there's a lot of cool things. And about I would it. love to play it. Yeah. But it's, I can't think of an edition that I'd want to run it in because I haven't kept up with it since I think second or third edition, you know, uh, for a while. The last Shadowrun books I had were before I'd ever actually played an RPG and it was still in like a D6 pool yeah. kind of mechanic. And they've gone back and forth on whether the, you can hack in wirelessly or not. I think they've gone back to you have to plug in now with a deck and all that other junk. And, uh, I mean, I look at these books now and I look at the systems and just skimming it. And I'm just like, this is a lot of work for me to learn as a, just a GM. And how am I going to explain it to players? This is going to take weeks just to get up and running. And then... Yeah, it's just a daunting task, uh, especially because we also have an audience that will actually like call us out on our yeah. bullshit. So there, I mean, there there is a bit about that I think is unique to our group, and that the podcast audience yeah. does matter. Uh, we do like the World of Darkness stuff is, and we've already done a nice Black Asian campaign. Yeah, so that is another thing. That yeah, I our, mean, we we don't want to keep repeating yeah. ourselves. We don't want to get stuck in a rut. Uh, but Shadowrun is another one. Um, there's one campaign. There's some pre-written campaigns I'd love to run or at some point, but I know they're probably not going to happen. Uh, partially because they're out of print, and partially because of, again interest in the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even even the interest actually I could understand, but like one would be Enemies Within, which is considered one of the best written campaigns of any RPG ever. But it's written for the first edition of Warhammer Fantasy, which was written back in the eighties. And there's our, it's already like the third or fourth edition of Warhammer Fantasy. And it's never, it's still out. The war enemies within is out of print and they never updated it for the newer edition. So I don't know. You, I had to buy it used. I had to buy Warhammer first edition and learn it. And then I'd have to explain what Warhammer Fantasy is. It's Warhammer Fantasy, not 40 K by the way. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I've already, I already don't care. Well, you would like the character creation system because you, roll up your your starting occupation and you could be a rat catcher or a <laughs> boatman or a, a never mind i'm yeah, in yeah exactly like uh, <laughs> a camp follower i mean like that's what i loved about warhammer is it's like fantasy but your characters are about as vulnerable as call of cthulhu characters and uh it's it's got a very unique it's it's a european game like in terms of its sensibility uh and attention to detail uh in terms of like simulating medieval early renaissance kind of economics and politics um so in the enemy within sounds great but i've never even had a chance to read the book because i it's out of print i'm not going to spend you know 100 bucks or whatever it is to buy a copy it's also from the 80s which (laughs) if we've learned anything from after hours (laughs) we've got to be real careful with anything written in the 80s well uh, just a lot of people have said it's a really good yeah um but yeah, yeah, you're the only person in the group who knows anything about Warhammer yeah. or cares about it. I hear Warhammer, I think miniatures, my wallet starts yipping in fear, <laughs> and we slowly back away. Uh, so yeah, uh, it, again, it adds an audience thing yeah, uh, and a mechanics thing. Like There is just the learning curve, yeah, uh, which turns us off of things. So like Continuum. I think. <laughs> I think. What is continuum? For those I think of people you- would be ravenous to hear a continuum of actual play, so they could learn how to actually fucking run it. But I'm not an astrophysicist, so I don't know how. 
so yeah, so continuing for those of you who aren't aware of this, uh, which I do actually have a copy of it. It's out of print. It's I believe it's out of print. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, the, I th- I don't know. I saw somewhere that the company is still around, or there's the, one of the people. Who it's, owns- it's extremely well yeah. written. Uh, it's, it's a time travel RPG. Yeah, it's, it's a time, time travel RPG yeah. as written by an actual time traveler. Like, yeah. there is stuff in there that you would never, ever conceive of in writing your typical sci-fi time travel story. Yeah. But they cover it as like, well, time travel is not just time travel. It's really teleportation because the Earth's moving at thousands of kilometers through space. Yeah. And, da, 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 da. and so you're really just mapping. That's calculus. And here's the thing. They don't just say that. You're doing that on your character sheet. Like, <laughs> like it is very, very intense. And while you aren't actually doing calculus, like the minutia you have to go in to mark your jumps yeah. in time is just staggering like and as level one characters you can only move an hour forward and an hour back uh and it's still just like trying to wrap your head around what it actually looks like at the table is just mind but that's basically primer i mean like yeah (laughs) and that's the thing i would love to run that game and try and plot that game out and i mean that's a hill i would die on trying to write a cool time travel story but it's not just that. Like, the advanced plotting you would have to do to do a cool time story like that and the way you'd have to contort your brain to account for things the players would actually do in play that you didn't predict would just be a mind-numbing amount of work. And then you're going to throw on top of that this system from the early 90s that no one knows how to play, that you're going to have to learn from scratch with no models of how to do it. Yeah. And, Yeah. Yeah, like they have a re- written example in the book of like how games should go, but it's like, how the fuck could you do that unless you were just writing writing it like fiction where you know everything that's going to happen? Exactly. Uh, I mean, there's no way to track like, oh well, I would have put a gun here in the, I would have put an extra uh, uh, magazine of bullets in this little uh, comp- in this desk while we were having this gunfight. If I because I know I was going to have a gunfight here, yeah, because I'll just pop back an hour, give myself more ammo. Like motherfucker, how? <laughs> yeah. Like the only but way- that, and that's a power in the game, and you do it in the moment. But yeah. continuum is unique, and it does a bad choice, I think, in that you have to actually role play that in the future. You have to actually role play jumping back in time yeah. at some future age and giving yourself this gun. Yeah, or you get killed in the future if you, you just erased from history. So you take frag is what it's called. But yeah, uh, yeah, the it, it's just uh, effort shock, like. Some some campaigns you're not going to run because you realize how hard it is going to be to run that campaign. Yeah. Um, so continue. I mean, is one of those I could see me. some sort of possibly some kind of gumshoe hack that just like you preparedness, but like amped up to the nth degree. Well, there's the Cthulhu Darky version. Yeah. Uh, hack of Continuum. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of cool. But yet again, I still don't know how to write for it. So yeah. I think other than mechanics, there's also effort shock on the story side of things. Yeah. So while I'd be willing to take the Continuum challenge. Uh, I have an idea in my head for an unknown, unknown armies campaign that I'm probably never going to run, and it's not yeah. because I don't understand the system of the system is pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've been, you know, I read the book on your recommendation. Yeah, as being like one of the best RPG books ever written. Totally agree. Just fascinating from first page to the last. Um, and they're doing a new edition of it. Yeah, and I've heard, I've talked to Greg about it, and it sounds awesome. Uh, so I'm like, oh man, it'd be really cool if we ran a campaign of that to play test it. And I'm like, I know what I would do. I would set it in Kansas City, but I would set it in like a gerrymandered district that no one was sure whether it was in Kansas or in Missouri. And so it'd be like this 
city in between cities and it have all these magic powers and yeah. I would bring all these new archetype characters in that have like the power of uh, basic story structures. So yeah. uh, the dead girl would give you quests like the dead girl that you're on a quest for revenge in every right. fucking story ever. <laughs> uh, just you know. Uh, I would have these archetypes of like American politics, like the red and the blue that are just like terrifying beings in their own respect. And all these ideas, uh, like bibliomancers who think riffs is the er game and search. <laughs> that's just your, that's search just for you, it, though. That's just search for it and meaning. <laughs> yeah. And I would do all this like crazy, you yeah. know, postmodern magic stuff. But. I've also realized I've never read Tim Powers. Yeah. It's not something I'm going to allow That's to go an, on forever. Yeah. But it, Tim Powers is the tip of the iceberg on, like, stuff that influenced that book. Yeah. And uh, the amount of stuff I have read of it is enough to get me interested in it, but I don't think it's near enough to where I could run a satisfying and good campaign of it. Yeah. And so, yet again, full-time job, writing books, freelancing work. When am I going to get time to read these seven or eight or nine novels? Yeah. I'm not going to, so we're probably not going to run that game. Uh, yeah, no, that's the same thing for, with me and Unknown Armies. Is the uh, I haven't read Tim Powers either, and I have an idea for doing one set in Hollywood and like explore the under, like the weird esoteric occult side of filmmaking and movie, especially like the low budget stuff uh, and and media and pop culture and that that sort of intersection. Uh, so you know, chasing after the artifacts of Ed Wood for you know magical power and shit like that. Uh, A lock of Tommy Wiseau's hair. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, which you could probably or he would probably sell you. Uh, if you. I actually found out he on TommyWiseau.com you can buy a copy of the uh, the room script. Uh, the actual shooting script, or supposedly, uh, great, yeah. <laughs> well, that's obviously a charge for your Sinomancers, exactly. exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, B movie mancer, um, but again, like for me, it would be also, uh, I, I know a lot of my earlier games have a tendency, like, tendency to get too abstract and too conceptual too big picture and not enough like here too too much like lost you know <laughs> yeah. in other words especially my earlier carcosa games and i've been trying everything in my power to avoid that kind of stuff and keep and keep the game grounded so players know what's going on and why they're fighting or why they're investigating this or that and with unknown armies i feel like it would be so easy to go veer off the rails and just plunge into narrative uh, into a narrative black hole and just never come out and just be like, well, you're doing this for that and oh fuck, I, yeah. Also, like you lose track. The it, fiction in Unknown Armies is pretty good and creepy, but like in no way, it's too it, in no way does it tell you how to run a game of it. Like, yeah. it is very entertaining and very well written, but it's not a group of player characters going together. And like a lot of stuff in the game actively deters you from like if you're going for avatar powers you're all behaving in wildly disparate ways yeah to achieve your different avatar powers and if you're uh, i forget what the other ones are called but the people who just adapts adapts yeah. yeah if you're like a dipsomancer versus uh you know uh or a bibliomancer pornomancer yeah. or a bibliomancer like you have such a crazy worldview and that's where all your power that's, comes from that's actually, yeah, that like you're you're literally a, a group of people who have no fucking reason to be together like even though you can yeah. do magic you literally don't see the same reality so like i never got it how you guys like had a goal and moved towards it that's that's a really good point because i mean um 
there are some th- types of stories that RPGs aren't very good at handling, and that's sort of and like for example, I think that's why love stories aren't really romantic stuff isn't really covered in RPGs because it's RPGs are almost always have to be a group effort. Yeah. It's about yeah. a team of people because you're getting a group of players together to do it's this. It's hard to have a love story with an ensemble cast unless yeah. you're all like paired off and just recreating yeah. Midsummer's Night Dream or right. something. Yeah. Or it's Romeo and Juliet and you're just like yeah, watching waiting for the two <laughs> drama queen players to just off each other and be like well we gotta kill each other now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in which case that's a weird scenario to, to split up like that. But like, No I'd love uh, Romeo and Juliet would be great if you were just like a Capulet or a Montague as yeah. a role playing game. Like I don't know, my like third cousin kissed some chicks, so now we're sword fighting in the streets. I was a tanner three minutes ago. <laughs> like I, I have no idea what's happening. You know, like yeah, that that would be a great RPG. Kind of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. For, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. See, there we go. That could be a can- that could be a fiasco game at least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my cousin is dead. <laughs> no. uh, so, but it's not not going to be something uh, I'm going to be running. Um, another th- another reason why another campaign I'm not probably not going to run is Beyond the Mounds of Madness, uh, which is another pre written game, but it's one of the big Cthulhu call of Cthulhu campaigns, and that's also because of the homework and just because. It's a fucking huge campaign. I mean, it's it's uh, several hundred pages, but it's also a lot of is uh, Arctic, you know, Antarctic survival shit. And so there's a lot of like homework that the GM has to do, and that the players, you know, here's how you survive, and here's the gear you have. There's apparently like a whole session where it's just like inventory your shit before you leave, you know, and that's just the amount of research I'd have to do to understand how to run that kind of stuff, and then. Uh, for the players to want to do that. I mean, I'm sure there's, from what I've read, is there's a lot, really good payoff, but there's lots of scenarios of July get from point A to point B and not die, you know, from just from the cold. Or yeah. From, yeah. And that's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I could, now that there's Mythos Expeditions, which has really good expedition rules, yeah. uh, I might do that because I'm actually going to be testing those, uh, well, playing those with the Australia chapter of Mask, which I'm running soon. Nice. Um, they've already, I already tried a little bit about in Kenya and the players almost died, but yeah. Well, like full survival stuff works in the short term. Like you yeah. can do a fall without end, but you can't do a mountain climbing campaign. Like, yeah. After a while, you get tired of like it, it's same, yeah. So it's yeah. like a dungeon crawling thing yeah. in that respect. Um, and some players um, just don't like that. Um, uh, another thing I won't run yeah. is just because uh, the parts of the setting I like uh, can't outweigh the parts of the kind of fiction I dislike. I don't think I'll ever be running a fantasy campaign, even though I have one in mind that I really wanted to run. So. Oh yeah. I started reading some Joe Abercrombie, which I'd missed out on before, and some good yeah. stuff. Uh, Half a King was really good. Um, and they're very good fantasy-ish novels, but they're very you know, low-power. Yeah. N- nobody's wielding you know massive magic stuff. Very much Iron Heroes-esque. Yeah. Um, and so I got this big idea because I've been reading up on uh, post-apocalyptic stress syndrome, which is an actual diagnosis. Uh, talking about generational um, trauma and how it carries on and like how illiteracy comes on like that. And it's a big case for reparations in America and other things. And so uh, my idea for the fantasy setting was that uh, you start off as typical dungeon crawlers uh, and you 
the kingdom full of, you know, crazy lich sorcerer monsters next door has suffered a successful revolution. And so you're like, hey, we're going to go loot these crazy, you know, slave-owning dead wizards bases. <laughs> and so you, you know, steal all this stuff from them. But then the rebels find you. Uh, and you, you, it turns out you stole like a potion of immortality or something. Uh, so you're not going to die unless you get stabbed with a sword. But they need you now. So the basic premise is like they've successfully overthrown, you know, their lich overlords. Uh, that it, but they are all illiterate. The entire country has PTSD from years of slavery and sexual abuse and beating. Uh, they have no culture. They have no ability to read. They have no civil service. They have no infrastructure. They're going to collapse. Uh, but the the Spartacus character that leads the revolution is like, well, I'm either going to paint you guys as lich kings we haven't gotten yet. And so we will hunt you until we die because we have nothing better to do because <laughs> uh, this whole thing's just going to collapse in a matter of years. Or you help us get people in from other more successful nations to rebuild our society. And so the basic thing is that it's a series of mini campaigns, but the order you do it in is really powerful. So like if you achieve a state religion first, you're going to build this gigantic theocracy. Right. Whereas if you steal like the engineers, you're going to have these technocrats or if you, but they're going to be kind of, they're going to become gods and super powerful because if you got the, the engineers before you got the educators, because they have no way to pass on their skills to future generations. So like, it's all about like which vital societal function you get first. And I really love that idea. But then somebody's going to be like, um, I make water with my hands with magic and I'm gonna be like, well, the ecosystem and all of economics <laughs> fucking collapses because you've defied the human condition. <laughs> like, nothing ever makes sense ever again. You can bring matter out of nothing. This is fucking stupid. post scarcity yeah, e economics. And, yeah, and so like that's that's where I get off on the boat on nearly every fantasy setting. Yeah, is magic is always like poof, there's a thing, or poof, I can do this. And I'm just like, that ruins fucking everything. Like, <laughs> that that ruins the entire social strata. There's no reason to have anything else. There's no reason to have religion as a concept we could ever recognize when there are gods you can go talk to who <laughs> give you things. Like, it's not a matter of, like, faith when it's just like, mm, please, I have magic powers now. Like, and so... While I can only think of doing this setting in a fantasy setting, all the things that piss me off about fantasy aren't going to go away, and so it would ruin the good stuff I wanted to do. Well, uh, to be fair, there have been a lot... There's actually... You're not the first one to realize this, and there's been actually a lot of people, a lot of game designers, a lot of writers who have approached this problem, this issue, and there have been some really good solutions to it. I mean, uh, even in D&D, &D, like, uh, a lot of it is to, uh, I mean, like, if you look at, for example, like, Dark Sun is like, hey, if you use that magic, magic is actually a, you know, metaphor for industrial power, it will ruin the environment, and blah, 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 so it's a self-solving problem, yeah. you know. Uh, it has a cost, uh, an environmental cost. Uh, and, it, you know, uh, so... It can be done, but yeah, if you're not, if it, if it's a lot too much but, work but for yeah, you. I've read those, yeah. and I don't particularly like. 
the solutions 100% for everything I do. Like, yeah. Dark Sun's great as a setting solution. I'm still playing D&D and miserable. Yeah. Because it's a D20 system. And why? Why D20? <laughs> why? Uh, because it's not AD&D. And it's not Palladium. <laughs> it was... You don't understand, man. At the time, it was better than anything else out there. You know what? Model T's were great, too. I still don't drive one. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, if you only had Model T's and a fucking horse, you would choose the Model T. I understand. But I don't have that choice to make yeah so uh uh so yeah yeah that's a thing and like the work i would have to do to get to, to where i like it i i don't think would be yeah. worth it so uh that's another thing and then another thing which i should probably mention is that while i find that interesting from a cultural perspective you are essentially basically playing uh the napoleonic slave uprisings so like you have to be you know very careful talking about shit upon which you have no frame of reference which yeah. i truly have no frame of reference right. for anything that culturally horrific because uh, i am not a native american or an aboriginal or anything yeah. like that so indigenous people yeah yeah uh so you know you know you could find yourself in some you know hot narrative water because you bit off something that as a white male, you yeah, are not yeah. meant to chew. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, yeah. I scrapped that idea. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah. And mm-hmm. I've had ideas about similar things uh, in terms, of, like, for example, uh, reading up about the history of Brazil. I, you know, when I was reading Fordlandia, which I mentioned some episodes ago, they talk about like the the escaped slaves from the plantations who formed their own communities and had revolts and uh, and that that kind of thing is fascinating. And I, I would love to do something like a game exploring some of those concepts. But yeah, there's that the amount of background to try and get it right, and also there's no real good system uh, that models widespread social change yeah uh and that's another sort of issue i mean rain has some of that like with the company rules and that was my thing i'm like yeah. it, has to, it has to be a rain campaign but then yeah. i was thinking about fortunes of war yeah and the rain like mechanics and then well, don't use and, don't don't hold don't hold rain uh don't use fortunes of war against no rain, no like. it's i mean it's not but yeah, <laughs> yeah it does it does sort of it either minimizes your individual impact yeah. To the point where most characters are uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Or it's sort of cobbled in there in between the fight scenes. Well, um, we haven't done a pure rain Yeah, games, we have not done a pure So pure we should, rain. we should, I mean, maybe try that before yeah. we reserve judgment. Uh, I mean, that, but Fortune War, I mean, that that's kind of, like, I'm not going to run any more D20 campaigns. I mean, I'll probably run 5th Ed games, 5th Ed D&D mm-hmm. games, but not a campaign. And I'm certainly not going to run anything from anything earlier. I mean, I liked 4th Ed D&D. Yeah, but I'm certainly not going to run Pathfinder uh, because I, I and it, like I ran and I wrote like a lot of third ed material. Yeah. And um, but I've just kind of, yeah, the, the age of doing D20 combat no longer interests me and everything else you do in D20 can be done more elegantly mm-hmm. and more quickly and easily. I mean, I'm at the point as a GM, it's kind of interesting. I like games more where you get to sit and role play. Uh, and just like not have to roll a lot of dice for combat, you know. Uh, there are times I do like doing tactical combat, but those are like for me, like especially like in Aaron's games, I like like Aaron's been running Atomic Robo lately, which is a fate game. And there are times where my more the times I'm most entertained, I, I have the most fun is when I'm just like 
Like my character is a human who thinks he's a robot. Yeah. And Tom is a Nazi, former Nazi dinosaur, mm-hmm. a Nazi scientist turned dinosaur. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I constantly bring up you like your care. Oh, hold your bloodlust, former Nazi dinosaur. <laughs> Please not to kill them. They are on our side. And Tom's like, "What? I'm I'm very fine. I'm fine. I'm not even angry." Like, and so I keep like constantly bringing up and I love that shtick I mean it's very fun just to uh, constantly do it. and I bitch about the HR policy Lefty and the Cyclops yeah Lefty and the Cyclops yeah. exactly that's that's the kind of thing I love <laughs> now is, is more of that character focused thing um, no so, yeah. I, I, I agree uh, yeah and I mean I mean maybe that's just a sign of rage I, I, I think we both do in both of our games when we do tactical combat it's because it's kind of like the John Wick thing that he does yeah. in LARPs if you've read his uh, post it's like you are now entering dire circumstances so you never have to worry about your character dying in scenes until he says these are dire circumstances and at which point you either run away because you're a sane rational person are you enter knowing that there's a possibility your character could die so that when we do like big tactical combats it's usually like a end of session yeah. kind of thing like the big jovian combat against the ex-humans or big, i was just thinking that our yeah. big wheel in uh new arcadia yeah. or for me when you are um uh fighting the ultimates at the end of scum swarm yeah. or you were uh on earth and it was very much about <laughs> yeah. like which flowchart path do you want to go down and everyone's just like ah. yeah it's very much like yeah you know that it, it, a bad role will kill you, and yeah. that's what you're going for. But you can't keep that up all the time. Uh, See, I really exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I really did. I really enjoyed the tactical combat uh, during the Jovian chapter. Yeah, uh, especially when I actually went to the effort of making the map or getting a map and mm-hmm. printing it out and having you guys all like decide where you're going to go and revealing the map step by step and all that stuff. And but it's fun as a set piece, and it's a chore every week. It's yeah, you don't want to do it every week. Yeah. Like it took a lot more effort than I. <laughs> uh, so. There's that as well. Is that that kind of? Um, so I couldn't. That's another reason why I'm not going to do a dungeon crawling campaign because that would be every single week. Yeah. Uh, and that does, yeah, it, it does wear down on you. Uh, and that's actually like for the 13th age. Uh, when I was running it, that adventure, we've we've done a two part adventure, um, and we there's a lot of fights in that fucking adventure, and I cut out a lot of them because. I knew I just didn't want to go through more than one or two fights per session. And, and you know, I don't dislike 13. I think the escalation die is brilliant. Yes, it's brilliant very- <laughs> as a D20 mechanic. So you're not doing just miss, miss, one yeah. damage, miss. I think it is so much better. But then that adventure does throw in like 15 15 fucking fights yeah. to the point where you just like that actually, I'm not yeah. so thrilled about the escalation die anymore. <laughs> so, it, it did help, but like yeah. um and that was the adventure itself and I cut a lot of those fights out. Uh because also you guys had good ways of getting around a lot of those fights by tricking your way in and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, I was yeah. desperate to get around some of those fights. <laughs> I knew uh, you were cutting stuff out and there yeah. was still too much. Oh my god. Uh, when's my initiative again all right uh one thing yeah that's actually reminds me of one of the other campaigns uh the actually published campaign that's coming out soon the eyes of the stone thief which is a 13th age campaign about yeah. a living dungeon like a, this living stone thing that eats towns and villain cities and just like everything it's just this yeah massive cha- constantly changing dungeon that moves through the ground and i love that idea and uh the 
problem with that, again, aside from the dungeon crawling thing, is, yeah, it's fantasy. It's There's just a lot of things that are like, uh, I, this is my jam, but no one else's. Um, so I don't know how you would get around that. Um, yeah, and yeah, I played a cleric in 13th yeah. Age, and all I could do was point out the stuff that pisses me off by clerics because I pray to my God, and it's not like nothing's going to happen. Something always happens. God's just unreliable. <laughs> like it's not like whether he's there or not, or it's true faith. There's no like leap of faith or exist or Christian existentialism or anything like that. He is physically there, <laughs> but he's kind of a dick, <laughs> and he phones it in most of the time until he just makes you a super-powered badass, and then you can go back to, like, oh, well, you get a plus one now. Good for you. You know other stuff to do. It's not like I can be everywhere at once, man. I'm just yeah. a god. So, yeah. yeah, so... At least you didn't forget half of your bonuses, like Aaron did. Uh... <laughs> But um, I did, but on the other hand, there are some game systems that I don't think. I mean, I might run one shots, but like, um, oh god, what is that Robin Law system? Uh, the drama system, Hillfolk. Oh yeah, I really want to run that. Yeah, but again, that's oh yeah, I have a campaign for that. I shan't be running. Yeah, uh, we already talked about that. My my uh, Vice News campaign. Oh all, yeah, God, I really want to. You're do that. all young. Yeah. stoner journalist school dropouts who yeah. happen to be dressed cool enough to luck into the last vestige of actual profitable news media and you're just like slouching and drinking your way through other people's social <laughs> unrest and life-altering events as you're just like being the hipster who hangs out with the Afghani rebels and like I just think that would be like a great like newsroom God, I everyone's 27 so on ecstasy yeah. and in the Syrian civil war <laughs> like I mean yeah that's why that isn't an HBO show already is only because it is H- an HBO show is only because HBO has the actual has show. the actual Vice show yeah. and they can't make fun of them yeah. like and that uh, Aaron Sorkin doesn't understand it enough to write it's the news too internet-y for him you know yeah. it's not middle-aged white guys being he right. wrote a hell of a version of Network 15 to 25 years after <laughs> Network <laughs> yeah so. <laughs> Uh, and that, that that actually reminds me like um, another campaign I would love to, I actually started but it fell apart uh, was the Fallout GURPS game because that actually has a lot of the stuff we're talking about like societal changes widespread yeah. stuff and I actually learned the fucking mass combat rules in GURPS and made units like statted them out and shit like that and like I got the rules down and it was like nope every, nope couldn't get the people together again uh, but that would be awesome to do uh, Fallout you know because that would you could do yeah. the, you could do your whole campaign idea in the Fallout universe yeah or uh, uh, for like the ex-slaves you just pop them out it's of the really vault. important which one yeah. you get first yeah exactly change yeah. everything yeah like, get to the right vault uh yeah, yeah. no it, it works perfectly it maps onto it pretty perfectly but it's it, the only system i could use it in gurps because gurps was the only one that could handle all that shit the sci-fi elements the mass combat rules the crazy monsters um and handle it well because gurp and gurps is it, it, it is GURPS. It, yeah, it, it, it's good. It's not the best, but it's certainly not the worst for any choice. It's about the same for everything. Yeah. But there's no other system that is the same for everything. Yeah. So uh, it has that kind of, yeah, versus your utility. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, 
So what have we learned from all of this? Uh, know your group. Yeah, you need to know your group. Uh, you need to know your own limitations and your time. Yes. And how much you're willing to put into it. And your, and your creative energy, because... You, you are not a limitless fountain of creativity. Like, yeah. everyone has how much effort they can put forth every day. And the more you put into one th- project, the less you have for everything else. So, like, as a GM, like, I want to create really great games, but I can't spend eight hours for every single of prep time for every single game. Yeah, so, like, that, that yeah, that's another thing. And taking into consideration, I have enough energy to put into redesigning this slave society from the ground up with no history, but... Yeah, I don't have the say. I don't have energy left over after that to figure out how fucking god magic works. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, so you you'd have to know your limitations in your time, your abilities to understand things. Yeah, um, if you're running a podcast, you have to consider your audience beyond just your playing group. So yeah. like <laughs> that's kind of unique. I'm probably not gonna run a long term eclipse phase campaign again because. I don't want to spit in the face of blind ass luck <laughs> for that it worked out. I don't know. Us. I think the player, the, the listeners, are gonna probably voice their comments about begging you to run more, but it'll be like run more, no evil. I'd run a small yeah. like Eclipse Phase campaign that would have little or nothing to do with them. <laughs> uh, I would never run something that big and sweeping again. Yeah, uh, but th- but also you got to know what you like. So like. Uh, I, I want to run something big with Red Markets, not just to play test the rules, but I'm finding that as we have more and more difficulty scheduling, uh, I am a much better player and have more fun when we have more long term storytelling things yeah. than if it's episodic. Wait, what did we do four months ago? Yeah. The, and then everything's kind of like this episode on Blur. Yeah. I, I need cable drama. I don't need, you know, sitcom. Law and Order. Yeah, Law and Order. Yeah. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. Dun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> these are their stories yeah exactly uh, and th- and that's just my personal preference yeah. so that's another thing you have to take into account when yeah. games you will- yeah you have to do you have to I mean when you're running a game you have to do it for you more than anything else because like even if you do have the time to put in eight hours for every four hour game you run or whatever if your players aren't necessarily going to reciprocate to the intensity that you desire you know like you may have done a shit handouts and all this other great stuff and maps and tactical combat or whatever else that gets them and then they're like yeah no that was fun that was fun and then yeah you need to be balls deep in the middle of that venn diagram yeah yeah if you're doing everything for your players you're going to be miserable like yeah if i ran tom's perfect campaign i'd we'd be up to our goddamn eyeballs and lizard people yeah and i would be you know, trying to kill myself every day trying to write it. Whereas, this lizard person tells you what to do. He tells yeah. you to go shoot some guys. <laughs> exactly. Whereas if uh, Tom was in my game of like, so well, you didn't look up what the Khmer Rouge was doing in that. Tom would be like, oh god, he'd be miserable. Like, yeah, you have to find a middle ground. You didn't understand the inter the intra bureaucratic uh, bureaucratic fights, but of the Khmer Rouge. <laughs> yeah, you didn't understand that this department hated this department, and they argued and they fought and they, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that you should have exploited that. You could have forged that paperwork. It would have been forging. It would yeah. have been in your alley. Yeah. So, or uh, we'll do a drug dealing game that I'll find <laughs> intensely, and then Darren will have to play a drug dealer. <laughs> which well, he is killing a lot of cops. It's going to become. Sad. 
Which is Aaron's understanding of current day drug dealers. <laughs> so if you sell weed, you put on full body armor and go outside with a fully automatic shotgun and wave down. Mow, you just mow down whole Meth labs of are grenade proof, right? Yeah, they totally are. Yeah. Right? It just takes yeah. about three minutes to make That's a duffel bag of meth. That you sell weed for a month and then you can afford Spec Ops military <laughs> gear. Uh. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> it's a fun game. So um, obviously Tom's not here, so no letter from Tom. But when we get back, we'll have anecdotes and or shout outs and then anecdotes. So we'll be back. Bye. And we're back. Uh, so. A, uh, we don't have like I said we did have in letter from Tom but we do have a lot of shout outs and we also have some very very special anecdotes coming up uh, from Eclipse Phase and uh, Slasher Flick uh, Flick uh, first off I would like to mention um, a novel I just finished called Dead Sea it's from Tin Curran it's a nautical horror novel basically a a uh, modern-day freighter gets trapped in the Sargasso Sea, but it turns out to be an extra-dimensional, you know, hell universe, basically. Uh, like you do. Like you do, yeah. <laughs> uh, where there are many, many uh, just wrecked ships and some crazy-ass monsters lurking in them and in about them. And it's a very, it's a long novel. It's over 500 pages. Uh, but And a lot of it is basically two groups of survivors from the freighter who are in life rafts and uh, trying to survive. And, like, one life raft, there's the asshole who hates everybody. He's trying to manipulate everybody. And it's just, you want him to die horribly. And then the other one, like, everyone kind of gets along, but they're going crazy because they hear things out in the fog. And one thing is it's a novel that has a lot of descriptions of fog in it. Like, really weird, unearthly. It's like a Lovecraftian novel. It's like you get some very vivid fucking descriptions of fog, man. If you want to read about fog, this is your novel or mist too, you know. Um, but it has some great monsters in it. It has uh, the scene. I told you about this about the scene where they are the the sequence where they enter the USS Cyclops, yes. which is a nineteen, and there is just. I think it's a very inventive, like scare, uh, like building of tension and. Um, so I will put a link to an ebook version of it that's legitimately available for free. Uh, I don't know if there's an audio book for it or not, but it's 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 a fun read, uh, if you like horror. And uh, the ending's a little rushed, but you know that's probably because the the opening is kind of very slowly paced. I mean, there's like a hundred pages of them like we're on a raft. Oh God, there's the thing out there. Okay, went away. Oh God, it's attacking us. Oh God, we're, we're okay. ah, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. Um, so uh, there's that. Uh, there's a novel you you've just finished, right? Uh, yeah. So I finished uh, Wolf in White Van by uh, John Darniel. I think that's how it is pronounced. He's the lead singer of the Mountain Goats, uh, which have some of the best lyrics ever. Uh, if you haven't listened to No Children before or any of the stuff he did on Moral Oral, it is. <laughs> Oh, he's a moreover. Oh, well, he's he didn't do the he didn't do the show, but they used his music a lot. Okay, uh, but, I'm sure I've listened to him before. Uh, yeah, it's all about like <laughs> let's talk with our friends about how much we hate each other about divorce, it's like everything. A moreover, yeah. it's depressing. Uh, or I will get through this fucking year even if it kills me. Uh, yeah, like just really great lyrics. So, uh, Wolf and White Van is about a it's nonlinear. It's about a guy who has a 
terrifyingly deformed face. I won't ruin how, because that's the main premise of the novel, is how it happened. But I got interested in it because it is highly literary, and it is, is extremely well-written. Um, and it's how this guy's face just alienates him from his family and the rest of the world. Uh, but the way he makes his living as an adult is that uh, before the, the accident that caused him his uh, deformity, uh, he was into all sorts of nerdy stuff like Conan and you know and like metal and all that right. stuff like that. Um, and he begins imagining things while he is you know convalescing for literally years recovering from this injury. Um, this gigantic post-apocalyptic play by mail uh, RPG uh, called the Trace Italian named after the the fort. And, like, uh, in their midst between the chapters will be descriptions of things that are happening in Trace Italian and the different choices you have. Uh, and so, like, there's this guy's life and there's, like, a satanic panic thing regarding his game that comes up and it's all sorts of stuff. But everything is interspersed amongst this, like, post-apocalyptic, you could do this, you could do this, or you could do this, and the, like, stuff players write in that they want to do for their moves. Yeah. And every time he has a move, he picks out a new, you know, sheet of paper. Yeah. Cuz he's got it pre-planned of what they're going to do and then he mails that and they send him a new move. Uh so it is very it's got a lot of great stuff about RPGs in it. Uh stuff about just being nerdy in general and it is very much about, you know, painful adolescence and uh, you know, being alienated from the world of your parents and stuff like that. Yay, the modern condition. Yay. <laughs> it is a novel by a white man that is not about how sad it is that he does not get laid more. <laughs> the, the protagonist does not does not drink like a badass or, you know, despair the modern condition. Okay. He's generally pretty he's generally pretty optimistic despite having a fucked up terrifying face. Like it, it, yeah, it is it is refreshing. Uh, as a male protagonist. So uh, I sent you the link to this. I didn't hear your response back, but uh, MFA Workshop Guy, the Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I should put a link to that. That's uh, a definitely worthy of a shout out. Uh, yeah, so that's a uh, Twitter parody Twitter account of basically making fun of that that guy in every MFA writing workshop you've ever been in, if you've ever been in one, where he writes about how he's basically – he thinks he's writing the tradition of Hemingway and Carver and everything else. And it's like, I think your character should have more sex to prove he doesn't need women yeah. or something. Like yeah. <laughs> something terrible. Like everything's something terrible. Yeah. Like, uh, the woman accepted her position as a metaphor, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah. It's pretty bad. Yeah. No. So the, that, that Twitter account is worth looking at. It's very fun. Kind of like why a, uh, dystopian fiction. Uh, <laughs> he, she was plain and clumsy. How could she be the gifted one? The chosen one. <laughs> yeah. Pretty um, much. Uh, but speaking of things that aren't uh, like that, uh, Jazz Punk is a video game. I got it on the last latest Steam sale or the holiday uh, Steam sale, and I went through it. It only takes a few hours to play through, but basically it's a parody of first-person shooters and video games in general where you're playing a secret agent trying to do things and uh, of a spy-ish nature, but uh, it involves... It's kind of hard to explain because it's basically sort of an absurdist parody of the genre. So uh, shooting birds down with mind control rays, uh, playing. There's oh, there's a, there's a great mini game in it called Wedding Quake with a 
like spelled Q A K E, and so you 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 go into it and you're like, it's like at a wedding, and so you grab bottles of champagne to shoot little cam- campaign corks, or you get a wedding cake and it's like a Gatling gun, <laughs> so it's like Quake only it's wedding theme, so wedding Quake. <laughs> nice. Uh, so jazz punk is quite amusing. Um, and it's you know I only paid a couple bucks for it so I, again I only took me a couple hours to beat yeah. so I don't know if it's worth the fifteen that it retails for but if you can get it on sale I go for it yeah uh, and other games uh, a big game came out in terms of the video game scene Hotline Miami two yeah we Ooh. have been playing that uh, I've not beaten it yet uh, I don't Rather, think you- I've been getting my ass kicked and frustrated yes. at that it is punishingly different. It is much harder than the original, and the oh. original was not easy. Yeah, it was not easy. Uh, yeah, the level design is a little problematic in that it has, the original was a lot about going into small areas and killing lots of dudes in different ways. This one has lots of very long corridors and This rooms. one is very much about like camping, popping out, shooting. Camping, yeah, popping, the world's shooting. deadliest game of peekaboo. Yeah, it is not as frenetic as the first one I yeah. found. Uh, and you and switch to, characters yeah. a lot. So. Unless the one you do succeed, because something always goes wrong and it kills you. But the one time it doesn't kill you, it's usually because you improvise some massive weapon throwing, grabbing, desperate, yeah, and you get through. But then you don't really even remember what happened because you're just so fucking thrilled that yeah. you've it's, beaten the level after yeah. your 80th try. <laughs> like you're just like, I don't even, I don't even care how cool no. it was. Yeah, I, I just want to move on. <laughs> this is true. Um, and one, there are a couple of. And no- the story makes less sense, you'll be happy to know. It is all over I'm reserving. The place. I'm reserving judgment until I actually finish the thing. Fair enough, fair enough. Me, so, I, I suppose I should too, but it is. So uh, far, it is not. But yeah, then I finished Hotline Miami. Yeah. The first one and was not particularly wowed by the ending either. Uh, <laughs> Other than it's. Um, you know, metafiction game yeah. wankery. Kill the creators of the game. Yeah. Oh wow. Edgy. <laughs> well, come on. Video games are a new genre or a new medium. They yeah. they have to they have to go they have to work their way up. You fair know? enough, fair enough. We haven't gotten to Bergman or Fellini yet, all right, yeah. of video games. Um so it's the soundtrack is amazing though. Oh my god. It's Perturbator was yeah. a perfect choice. Uh and there's so many others. There's yeah. I mean it's a much larger soundtrack. Yeah. Uh and you there's yeah I, I'm definitely gonna be listening to the soundtrack a lot. Uh, I have a thing where I try to beat a game before I, I download and listen to the soundtrack is because I don't feel I've earned it. Yeah, until I bought I the special pack just yeah. so I could download the soundtrack. Um, I bought the special edition so I could play Jacket in Payday Two, who uh, is a character from Hotline Miami One who will does not he's mute he doesn't talk in the game. So for Payday Two, when he talks, he uses a tape recorder. So you have a tape recorded voice of a woman saying things, <laughs> uh, which is a, which is from amazing. what sounds like a language learning tape. Yeah, it randomly changes into Russian or Italian. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's very. Uh, entertaining, uh, but yeah, it's Hotline Miami Two is definitely it. It has some really fun levels into it. It has great music. Um, I everything else went away until I finished. Yeah, it's definitely it. mine. Yeah, either way. Uh, uh, I have another book I forgot about. Oh yeah, uh, I finished uh, Annihilation. It's the first one of the Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy. Oh yeah, uh, very weird. If you like your weird fiction, weird. 
It is weird. <laughs> so is it? it it's not. It is weird. It's not quite normal, is it? No. It's weird. I would even go as far to call it weird. Weird. Uh. So yeah. Weird. I mean, it's the guy who did the weird, the compilation of yeah. every weird short story worth talking about ever, which I am still hacking my way through like a jungle. Um. <laughs> <laughs> there's. You'll hit a good one, and then you'll just move along for. Like three or four. Or I skip around. And then that was my survival skin to a stop. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, what can you expect? It is it is uh, not Lovecraftian at all. Uh, in other than that, it's inexplicable. So there is the zone zone X, uh, which is managed by a mysterious governmental organization called the uh, the Southern Reach, and something about Zone X. Uh, you can only enter and leave it under hypnosis, uh, or that could just be something that the uh, group does to you. So the basic premise of the book is that it's narrated by the biologist, uh, and the biologist is with the engineer, the linguist, and the psychologist, and they're all four women, heavily armed and filled with cappy equipment, that move into the Southern Reach, and then things get weirder and weirder and weirder people before them may or may not have turned into animals there's a never ending like house of leaves like staircase uh they're called the tower that they everyone calls it the tower but they don't know why because it's underground and goes down uh there's a weird lighthouse with like bloodstains all over it and like betrayals and moving plants and lost like creatures and by the end of it I still have no idea what happened uh, well, so perhaps I should read the other two books probably uh, but if you are into intense bizarre creepy weirdness it's got a lot of it it's got very much like oh my husband came back from his expedition but that's not my husband even though he looks like my husband and talks like my husband and yeah, it, it's just, it's like, yeah, it's like roadside picnic. Yeah. If they were going into the zone to take lichen samples instead <laughs> of, artifacts, like, get rich off yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah, it is very much like, it is very bizarre, so. Nice. I like it. Um, speaking of other sort of... Uh, uh well weird things uh there's a kickstarter going on for a weird yeah things? yeah uh for an rpg called witch uh this is from angry hamster games and this is where you play a witch who makes packs with demons for powers to do you know adventurous things but you have different traditions of witches you could be a lich a bokor or uh so it looks i've they sent me a playtest packet and i've read through it looks uh, not th- not through the entire thing but from what i've seen it looks really cool it has really cool art uh it's going on for another week and a half uh so give it a check out if you like that kind of game it it reminds me a lot of a world of darkness type game you know you you're a supernatural thing with different traditions and you're fighting another supernatural thing that's worse than you are so um it, it gives me that kind of vibe but it has a different system and uh you know demonic packs are always fun topics for games yay I mean, <laughs> yay um and also Dark Things, Necropolis, a video game that is being currently that is currently in production from uh, Harebrain Schemes. Uh, they did a little thing called Shadowrun Returns, and um, they uh, Dennis Detwiller, one of the Delta Green co-authors, is currently working on Necropolis. And in this one, it is a roguelike 
a third person action game where you go through a randomly randomized uh, randomly generated dungeon and uh you know kill monsters try not to die you're gonna die a lot is what it looks like it, they revealed some vi- uh, gameplay footage of it at pax east this year uh and it looks quite fun i can't wait to play it well, yeah i love your little like stabby pixely legs yes <laughs> yeah you, you're very spindly legs yeah, yeah very, uh very sharp legs i like how the character player characters have randomly generated names so you don't name yourself it's kind of like you know you're blah 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 the black guard go out and okay now well, let's get the let's get that knight in here let's get you know <laughs> oh you know um so, uh, let's see here. Uh, and also speaking of dying horrifically underground, uh, I saw a horror movie recently called The Pyramid, uh, which came out last year, and it is not quite a found footage film, although there is some found footage within it. Uh, it's about archaeologists in Egypt that find a three-sided pyramid. Uh, so think like a giant D4. Uh, but they they uncover the entrance to it, and they're like, let's go in. Oh, no, there's riots in Cairo. We have to leave. Well, we can send our NASA bot in. The, that three million dollar robot we rented from NASA, we could we could shit. Uh, oh no, something broke it. It's a three million dollar robot. We have to go and get it. We won't tell anybody we're the going. The robot dies in pursuit of the MacGuffin. The robot becomes the MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. MacGuffin vampirism. It's a chain of uh, MacGuffinism. Um, and of course, they all get well. What, 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 let's go back. Oh wait, we're, we're tw- we got lost. Oh no, we fell down. And then the thing, yeah. Uh, I like <laughs> and it. And then they all die. I don't want to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, and they they don't all die. Incredulous look. Yeah. Well, you you just have to watch it to find out. <laughs> uh, it's it has some good death traps in it. Yeah, yeah, death traps. Uh, and some good monsters and. Uh, yeah, no, it's a fun sort of B movie. Uh, pretty good production value, you know. I mean, they shot it in. Uh, well, the set looks like a pyramid, so and the the monsters look pretty good. So yeah, yeah. I, I had fun. Uh, you saw. I know this is a bigger movie, but you saw Chappie. I saw Chappie. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning because I don't know what all the mixed reviews are about. Because I think it's sort of a return to form from Neil Black Blowcamp. Yeah, I kind of hated Elysium. <laughs> I don't want to say hate, but like the longer I thought about that movie, the less you like it. The less I like it. Like, why do we need to microwave those robots? Like, really unnecessary stage of the production process. Poorly, poorly. Like, I know OSHA isn't very powerful in this day and age. In that day and age, but you'd think they'd put a, more of a safeguard for. Them. I just want to say, for a move, a Hollywood movie that can give me a fucking functioning Taurus habitat. Yeah. But you can't explain why you had to microwave your fucking robots. Like, there, there's a disconnect. It's not even microwave. It's like bombarding with lethal gamma radiation because he doesn't fry instantly. He's yeah, just like, no, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah. Uh, and Matt Damon's apartment's bigger than my entire house in the grim, dark, overpopulated. And real estate's future. cheap there, all right? Uh, apparently, in Los <laughs> Angeles, you couldn't get an apartment like that in Los Angeles now. Well, yeah. That's... If you were Matt Damon, you couldn't get that apartment. It just needed like a coat of paint. Notch could get that apartment. <laughs> yeah. Well, Notch uh, has a seventy million. Anyway, house now. intensely yeah. disliked. Yeah, I like the gunfights. I I, I, and, I forget about the rest of the movie, and I liked that too. But yeah. here's the thing: Chappie has those gunfights, but also isn't fucking stupid, <laughs> uh, and is actually a pretty good like AGI story. So the the way I I do it, uh, a lot of the reviews I read that didn't like it hated D Antword, yeah, uh, f- 
for their prominent roles in the film. And it's just like they're acting. And and uh, the one I just totally don't understand is that it found them to be uh, unsympathetic characters. Uh, so basically the premise of the film is that Dev Patel is a AI researcher. He works for a massive robotics firm that has created functioning AI policemen that have reduced the crime-ridden dystopian hell that is 2016 Johannesburg <laughs> into a livable place. Um, but he is a advanced head-in-the-sky AI researcher, and so at home he is working on a legit AI program, but is actually an AGI program. So it starts from baseline, but through interactions with people, it learns like a child, just infinitely faster. Um, so he's trying to do it, but he can't do it. But So there's this one robot unit that is uh, you know, going to be scrapped, and he steals it, but on his way home to make his AI baby, uh, he is kidnapped by the crazed gangers in the actual South African rapper D'Antward, uh, who want him to develop a remote that turns off the police bots because crime's getting really hard. Uh, they have to paint their BIM 4s pink to confuse their target acquisition because they think they're kids with guns. Uh, like, So they're like firing M4s with like pink and yellow Uzis and like, like all sorts of stuff like that. And like a lot of really clever set design. And they look like D'Antward, so they look fucking crazy. Uh, but then he, they realize he has a bot in the back, so they're just like, turn him on. And he's like... No, he's he's a fucking AI. We can't. This has never happened in history before. And they're they're like, I'm going to shoot you in the head. So he's like, okay. <laughs> so he turns it on, and so Chappie is being raised, but he's being raised by these psycho gangbangers. So it's not really a movie about AI, and which is why it just blows my mind that critics don't get it. It's a movie about abusive childhoods. It's just on fast forward because they teach Chappie to be a robot gang member. Like they give him bling. They abuse the shit out of him. They develop massive trust issues in him. He becomes oppositional defiant. Uh, and he just gets worse and worse as they, like... But that is how all these gangbangers were raised. And so, like, it's just a really advanced AI take on child abuse. Wow. Uh, and I really thought it was brilliant. But it's also, like, redeeming because Chappie ends up making his own choices and, like... Yeah overcoming his upbringing and you are sympathetic towards the at word if you understand anything about how poverty works on people yeah um the only bad part of the movie is uh in my opinion uh wolverine what's his name hugh jackman hugh jackman's character because they make him like (sighs) javert they make him like smiley whiplash evil just like cartoon evil he's like He's like the jock from an 80s movie combined with, like, fucking... Someone uh, who tortured Rambo. Yeah, pretty much. It's just really bad. And it doesn't make any sense because if he were not dumb as hell, he would have a legitimate goddamn reason to attack Chappie because he learns to talk in a day. (laughs) He learns the entire English language from just watching us for a day. And so Hugh Jackman's character easily could have been like... In two months, this thing is going to launch the nukes. Like, <laughs> Dev Patel invented Skynet, and he gave it to some gangbangers. Like, he could very easily be just like, no, there is a legitimate theoretical philosophical standpoint that says, 
as a human being, it is my moral duty to my species to kill the shit out of that thing as hard as I can. <laughs> but no, it's more like, you stole my funding, Dev Patel. Now I'll kill your robot child. <laughs> For the listeners who don't Caleb was twirling an imaginary mustache. Yes. Uh, and he is by far the weakest part of the film. Not because of his acting, just because like I feel like that's a clear missed opportunity. He could have been a really evil villain who just had an understandable motivation. Yeah. No. Because, yeah, by yeah. the end of it, Chappie is our new machine god. Uh, it's only a matter of time. Like, uh, and yeah, he could have just been like, that's a, probably a bad idea. Stephen Hawking told me so. Uh, so that's the only flaw in the film I I was bothered by. I feel like most of the reviews missed the point entirely. So you should go watch it. A lot it of reviewers missed the point in sci-fi films. So it's like District 9 again. Yeah. Like it's a worthy sci-fi film that has something to say about being human. Like, yeah. Unlike Elysium, which had no redeemable qualities. <laughs> other than cool gunfights. Yeah. I, I, I like the, the ending of Elysium could be just like... A very subtle point of, I, I, and I'm just totally bullshitting now for the sake of arguing. I know, but, yeah, uh, about how the humans uh, tend to overestimate their own abilities, or uh, like, you know, the idea of that. Oh, uh, what's that? Uh, the Peter Principle or something like that? Oh, we we could save these dozens of people with these few, these, uh, you know, our our five uh, hospital ships can save millions of people with our super fancy tag. Cause it's good. It's a tragedy in the making. <laughs> we just don't see that part. We just don't see the day after when the riots break out and everything die. Everyone dies. Fucking terrible. I know. It's a it terrible, was, terrible. It movie. was a terrible. Movie. <laughs> um, speaking of well, things that might not be terrible. Uh, you also watched uh, powers recently because it's on the PlayStation network. All right. Uh, more reserved. <laughs> endorsement there they do some things that i think are interesting well just for those who aren't familiar it's the uh, it's a tv show police procedural about super policing superheroes and villains yeah okay based Ret- on the comic book retro shout out if you're not reading bendis's powers traits stop whatever you're doing and go buy all of them right now yeah they're all fantastic uh the only problem with the comic is that for some reason he does other shit before powers even though powers is by far the best thing he's written and that's saying something for Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, Oming's art is amazing. Storylines are amazing. Dialogue's good. Dialogue is the best in any <laughs> comic I've ever read. Deanna Pilgrim is the most enjoyable character to read in comics. So um, they do some stuff that is just frankly baffling to me uh, in the show. And so it's on the PlayStation Network, but they have a release schedule. So it comes out every week. So I'm going to go home and watch the new episode. You can't binge watch it like Netflix. So that's one thing I wish I would have known. But I already have a PlayStation Plus account, so it's no big deal. Uh, I didn't pay anything for it. Um, so, Sharpedo uh, Copley, speaking of Elysium, and yeah. Chappie, he is Chappie and Chappie. Uh, he has some things he does really well, and they have some other things he doesn't have the range for. So he plays Walker, he plays the lead. Who is basically. Uh, the who in the comics is Batman. He looks like Batman from the cartoon. Like, well, in the comics, he's uh, a detective. But like, I'm not going to spoiler alert you about yeah. this. But in the show, they reveal what they reveal in the comics. And like, trade paperback number four yeah. in the first episode is in that Walker used to be a power, yeah. so he knows all of the superheroes, and they know most him because he used to be high level. He lost his powers, and rather than sit around and drink himself to death. 
he actually applied himself and became a cop. A cop. Yeah. But he's still like very tortured about the fact yeah. that he used to be able to fly and he used to be a god. And now he is a dude, a dude with a gun and who needs to hide whenever the criminals come. They can literally all kill him with his eyes. So that is just like literally in the first 10 minutes of the show. They just drop that in the middle yeah. of it. Don't know why they didn't do that. They shoot it instead of like noir, like the comic book is shot. They shoot it like a CBS cop show. Like it is intensely brightly lit, like everything. So like there are times where the seeds look so shitty. It's like Constantine levels of just like, why would you do this to this property? Yeah. Uh, Deanna Pilgrim is played by uh, a girl who'd be much better to play the cop that replaces Deanna Pilgrim midway through the series because uh, she delivers some Deanna Pilgrim lines but she doesn't have the snark uh, and she's not like spunky skinny nervous you know enough and with the foul mouth that makes the good character but they do a lot of cool stuff because by making it a CBS show it is really not about superpowers it is a show about fame so they're often talking about how superheroes are dicks because they no longer have to grow because everything is given to them. Yeah. Uh, so Retro Girl, um, in the trade paperback, she is dead within the first issue. That's yeah, b- basically the hook. Of the yeah, it is show. called Who Killed Retro Girl. She's made it into episode four so far, and she's basically like uh, Julia Roberts. Like She's just yeah. so famous, she can't go anywhere, uh, and everything she does like shifts the society around her. Uh, and she hates most of humanity as a result of that. <laughs> but she's a good guy because she's barely containing that disdain. <laughs> like uh, uh, Trip Hammer, uh, which is the Iron Man analog in the comics, yeah. is uh, very hateful and motivated for spite because he doesn't have powers and simultaneously motivated by fear of everyone he knows because he is a human being who remembers what it is to be a human being and powers scare the shit out of him so he does everything he can to police them. Uh, So there's stuff like that. Johnny Royale, who's like a bit player in the comics, is by far the most interesting character in the whole show. What would a guy who could teleport literally anywhere with a thought be like? And they play it pretty good. Like, he's kind of ADD sometimes. Yeah. He just pops in for lines of dialogue and leaves, and you don't know where he's gone. Uh, he's very uh, conflict avoidant, because <laughs> why, why would he fuck with this? He could go anywhere else. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's good stuff there. Uh, and then they, they made Eddie Izzard Wolf, which I won't ruin in the comic, because I doubt they're going to do it the same way. But he's like the super evil uh, power who they have to lobotomize every five minutes. That's the only way they keep him from destroying the prison. There's literally a guy in front of him every five minutes stabbing an ice pick through his tear duct and then just waiting for him to heal again. Like, uh, which is really creepy, but uh, I don't know why they're doing it that way. I think they just did it because Eddie Izzard is British. Yeah. I would like to see him play someone funny. So, very mixed reviews. Uh, a 5.1 out of 10. Like, it can do one more thing wrong before I throw up the controller in disgust. Yeah, well, series has to get its legs, but it sounds but like... I'm going to reread Powers, just because yeah. I want to remember what it's like. I do. should reread Powers. It's been a while since I've Oh, it's so good. I, I know. I it is. 
Um, so I think that's enough for our shout outs. Uh, but we have some anecdotes. Uh, so, uh, first off, we've, we're finishing, we're getting close to the end for the, uh, duality. The Eclipse Days campaign have been running for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had a brief foray into Ultimate Society, uh, on their station, Cyphos, which I chose to set during their three day, uh, Bacchanalia, uh, slash, uh, party slash, uh, Olympics. Because uh, I figured that would be a good way to infiltrate some firewall agents is when everyone's partying. So uh, in the book, it describes that there are games held so the Ultimates could test each other. But it specifically mentions that the Ultimates are more than just musclehead warriors, that they want to be just being good at something. You know, it's competence in something. Uh, so I said, players, all right, so you have to compete in order to fit in, to go on undercover. But I'll let you choose what skills you will put uh to uh test and so david was like protocol and perception i'm like okay uh deadly tea party uh what you didn't plan for that no no i didn't know what skills oh man i was really i was ready to toot your gm yeah well Well, i mean i I guess yeah i guess i am for a different reason for improvisation i thought you were slow playing us like (laughs) when you said well there can be a game for anything on your character sheet and we literally said anything yeah and you're like yeah anything you want on your character sheet and i'm just like well this was a huge goddamn mistake (laughs) so i i instantly see everyone just dive into their character sheet for the highest ridiculous skill they fucking have <laughs> like no one's gonna pick combat nobody's gonna pick anything rational yeah uh they, they're always gonna pick like whatever they have highest on their sheet that is most bullshit <laughs> i did the same thing <laughs> but david instantly goes protocol with like just the shit eating his grin on his face like it's literally like the futurama hermes <laughs> bureaucrat off is what i'm expecting and then you're just like without missing a beat deadly tea party i thought you were just like slow playing us like you knew what we were gonna call and then you're just like ah i got you you fuckers <laughs> deadly tea party. but no way to way to play it close to the vest uh yeah so the premise of, well it was, per- it was protocol and perception so yeah you didn't let it phase you at all though you just instantly deadly tea party i thought you had it all planned i thought like i do stuff like that in games i don't know i guess you do this i know what you're gonna fucking do and then you do it and i'm just like ah fuck you i'm ready for that but you weren't you it was just yeah it was good poker face so deadly tea party is uh perception and um protocol so it's having a uh tea party for a hypercorp oligarch because they still because the ultimate self to negotiate with the hypercorps and uh and they have to play bodyguards you have to play bodyguards and assassins occasionally <laughs> so the idea is that you and the other person one play plays the defender one play, one person plays the assassin and so they're having the tea party with the with some actor who's some indentured sleeved into a splicer body uh who will actually be killed if he drinks the poison or takes the poison so the assassin gets to choose what type of poison and how it's going to be delivered. It could be contact, it could be slipping something in the drink or whatever else. I should be clear, yeah. you made David's night. Like, yeah. In every scene waiting for Deadly Tea Party, he was frantically <laughs> on his phone researching everything about tea. <laughs> <laughs> and so the idea was you get to choose what whether you're the defender or the assassin. So you had to make protocol checks to, you know, do the tea party part, uh, right? And then you had to make perception checks to figure out when to place the poison or when how that other guy was going to, to place it. And David fucking is like he blew his moxie, he rolled well. I mean, yeah. he just he was on that shit. And so like he did so well, he basically became like made the highlight reel of the first day of the Olympics uh with his deadly tea party. Uh, 
Uh, Which I had a blast imagining. (laughs) Space luge. (laughs) Night fighting. Tea party. (laughs) Like, what a great jump cut. That must have been a great sizzle reel. In the middle of it, somebody serving tea. Then back to like an explosion. Oh, he's put the cyanide in the drink! (laughs) Let's see if he sips it. Oh, he sipped it! I hope it was that VJ Hype Man from the Ugandan action film. Oh, yes. Running Uh, commentary for it. Uh, yeah. Party, party, party! <laughs> tea, tea, tea! <laughs> poison! Oh, is he gonna poison? Oh, he poisoned! <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Deadly Tea Party, uh, like, David eventually, like, uh, used that to get, to basically get laid or get, uh, make out with the target, uh, because he was so popular as a result <laughs> yeah. of that. Uh, so, yeah, Deadly Tea Party, no, I, I just yeah, he, he sugar dicked him. Yeah, <laughs> he sugar dicked him. Honey dicked him. Yeah, uh, honey, yeah, honey dicked, sorry. Yeah. Um, so that was the first uh, game like that, uh, but it wasn't the last. <laughs> uh, so I recently ran uh, Slasher Flick, uh, and I think you're the one who came up with the idea of. Uh, I know we've discussed before, but inse- you guys made me watch John Wick. Yeah, and I'm like, well, we should play Slasher Flick. Only we're random Russian <laughs> mobsters, and we're fighting John Wick, who is a goddamn elder thing. <laughs> Just, he teleports, he moves beyond human speed, he's preternaturally aware of his surroundings. Just, oh god. We could do a whole podcast just about the insanity of that fucking movie. <laughs> uh, again, the key for that film for me is that one time right in the bathhouse that he just looks at the guy he's trying to kill and just shoots a guard instead of him. He's just like, <laughs> no, look at this. This is going to happen to you. Boosh. <laughs> but it's, I, a, it's just the most brilliant filmmaking decision I've ever seen in that Keanu Reeves can't act. So <laughs> whenever Keanu Reeves' name is mentioned... Have every other actor in the movie Do the act their asses off. <laughs> Just like eat the scenery, going insane, <laughs> hearing John Wick's name. Just lose their gut, cry blood, start swearing to every god they know, throw things. Just it's it's like an Al Pacino off anytime the name John Wick is mentioned. And it works. It does. I, I was. Thoroughly entertained. <laughs> uh, so instead of so if, yeah, for slasher flick, uh, flick, you normally have uh, players make a pool of characters, not just one character each. Everyone gets one primary character. Then there's a pool of secondary characters, and then there's a slasher like a Jason or a Freddy or some sort of monster that kills all of them except like a few. And it's a brilliant mechanic yeah. because the players are incentivized to feed their secondary characters because too. then they get genre. Because then they get genre points to use on their main character to yeah. help you survive. Uh, at the end. Which and is brilliant. It is. It's a great mechanic. <laughs> and so instead, I had the players make characters that were basically 1980s action film bad guys. So uh, there was the demolition guy. There was the guy who was basically uh, uh, the bad guy from Highlander 1, you know, Clancy Brown. Did anybody get Fat Fatty Mercury in a chainmail shirt from Commando? <laughs> oh, That's my, God. my favorite 80s villain ever. I wish. Tubby no. Freddie Mercury in a chainmail shirt. Matrix. No, no, no. That was. No. Matrix was the hero. Of yeah, yeah. Film. Sorry. I'm sorry. I know he yells out Matrix at one point, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so so there was like a pool of sixteen characters, yeah. and Thad was there, and Dan and uh, Michelle there were, were there, uh, uh, they were there as well, as along with Sean and Anne. It was their first game trying the slasher flick, and Anne was not like Anne was not a, not even that well aware of nineteen uh, eighties action film, the <laughs> yeah. canon, you know. So we had to explain some things, but she got into it quite well, and. 
Uh, they were facing Jack Shade, who used to, he was special forces in Vietnam before he became a detective, the only American to be a detective in Hong Kong. And then he was a bouncer at a roadhouse and so on and on and on and on. So I made him every, and of course he had a mullet. And until they killed his dog. Until they killed his ex-wife. Ah. Uh, so like they decide to lure him out by, because they, they kidnap some people and they're Just ho- want to say, yeah. your role playing game premise yeah. now officially makes more sense than yeah. the entire plot lot of John Wayne. <laughs> Just one of he clear. Yeah. It's far less absurd than the plot that moves together. That multi-million dollar movie. Uh... To be honest, his motives are... The, the, I don't even question John Wick's motives. He was just looking for an excuse to kill again. It's legit just a dog he yeah. owned for a day. Yeah. It's not even like old yeller Do you know dog. whose motives I question in that movie? Um, his buddy assassin. Uh, <laughs> William what, Defoe. Yeah, William Defoe. <laughs> I'm going to die for this dog I never met. <laughs> I'm going to die for John Wick. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Um... You th- and you think he would be smart enough to get out of town after he betrays the mob. But, but that's the thing. Yeah. Somebody said John Wick's name next to Will and Defoe, yeah. and his Al Pacino off was insane brotherly love. <laughs> Just uh, ruthless devotion. Like, uh, So while the character, while the players were making characters for this, um, Dan and Michelle were on their way. So the, we, the, I just said, you guys make characters for them. And so one of the primary characters was Krell, who looked <laughs> specifically like Clancy Brown from Highlander 1. And it was a shirtless <laughs> warrior from the Wastelands uh, with a sword. And that suggested that one of his qualities, one of his abilities was hot piece of man meat. <laughs> And uh, Michelle played him, and because uh, Krell had all the ladies in Highlander, if I recall, <laughs> yeah, they loved those filed down teeth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he looks like a guy you want to take home to mother. <laughs> so halfway through the game, you know, uh, Jack Shade has murdered quite a few characters. Uh, so he tracks uh, Krell down into a corridor with a fan rotating slowly in the background <laughs> and some electrical conduits. At least that's how I imagine it. Uh, I don't think I specifically mentioned that, but you can picture it that way. Oh, so, we need that flavor text in the future. Right? Yeah. Uh, this is good GMing. No, I know. I know. Uh, there's a lot to keep track of. There's a lot <laughs> yeah. of moving parts. And so they they start fighting. They start sword fighting, you know, with katanas. Obviously, uh, obviously, Hattori Hanzo. Did they have guns and they threw it down because this was personal? Uh, no, not yet. No, Uh, yeah, but uh, well, so what happened is Michelle was actually rolling pretty well, and then so uh, she says, you know what? Uh, So I say, okay, you lock blades. You're looking at each other (laughs) face to face. What do you do? All right, I use hot piece of man meat and I go over and I kiss him. And I'm like, all right, roll. And she rolls like a uh, like four eight, which is like a critical hit. And, yeah. And so I'm like, uh, and the game just kind of stopped. We're just like laughing our asses off so much that I say the kiss lingers for a second, uh, for several seconds, and then he flees. I don't want to wait. Yeah, you've killed his ex-wife, but now he's questioning a lot of things. Uh, so it's like Top Gun if it was honest. Yeah, exactly. This like Cad <laughs> mentioned the covert uh, homoerotic subtext became over homoerotic text. It's right out there in the open. Dudes, make we it solved up. it. Eighties. Yeah, you're exactly. welcome. Um, 
So uh, I don't want to spoil what happens to the the the, the Krell Jack Shade pair up at the end, uh, but. <laughs> It's uh, other spoiler highlight. alert. They open a bed and breakfast. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the characters, one of the players, had diplomatic immunity, uh, which he used to some success. Uh, Tom blew some things up. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, there was a, yeah, just a lot of murder and a lot of death, uh, and uh, not many player characters made it out. <laughs> uh, and I, well, well, I had one optional house rule. Like all the, I didn't say. Uh, so you're all part of the evil gang. You're hired to do this heist, you know, to to do all these things. But we're not going to reveal who the real mastermind of the gang is until there's only one primary character left. The last person alive turns out to be the real uh, <laughs> bad guy all, all along. along. <laughs> so nice. Uh, you'll have to listen to find out. So that'll be posted soon. Uh, but yeah, uh, that was a fun game. I'm sad I didn't make that. One. I did. Well, we'll have to do another. It works so well. It's hard <laughs> not to. Uh, try it again. Uh, but anyways, uh, I think that's a good way of wrapping up episode 112, Campaigns I Shan't Be Running. Uh, this is Russ Payton. And, I'm Caleb. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.